0: It was honestly probably the most stressful year of my life because we had very aggressive sales goals that needed to be hit. And we needed to hit those for fundraising reasons and and other reasons as well. And we had some really good early traction. But when you take on investment, you have to perform and, and deliver incredible results in a short amount of time. You're listening to That Worked a show
1: that breaks down the careers of top founders and executives and pulls out those key items that led to their success. I'm your host, Callan Harrington, founder of Flash Growth, and I couldn't be more excited that you're here. Today's guest, we've got Chris Ritchie. I'm really excited for this one. Chris is the managing partner at Integrity Power Search. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, Callen. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. So tell us a little bit more. What is Integrity Power Search and what are you doing for them?
0: Yeah, so IPS has been around since 2012. We're essentially a full stack recruiting firm specifically for technology companies. So that mostly involves venture capital backed uh, technology startups and PE backed technology companies as well we're full stack, meaning that we work across various different roles. So we do everything from full stack software engineers to product management, kind of at the IC manager and director level. We also do a lot of go-to-market roles, So a lot of account executives, growth marketers, heads of talent, heads of finance. And we also have an executive search practice that does VP level and above technical and non-technical roles. So pretty much we want to be the all-out stop for anyone that hasn't really staged technology company that needs to build their team.
1: I think that's interesting too, that you guys are doing also the go-to-market side, because Mm -hmm. that's a real need in the marketplace. There's tons that are on the engineering side. Those are great firms, right? And Mm -hmm. I think that they're very necessary, but I don't see as much there. And I know that's a big pain point in the industry. So there's a lot of things I want to get to. Mm -hmm. And I know one of the big ones is, we'll get to this, we'll come back to this, but You made the switch from executive COO level at a startup at a product company, at a tech company, to jumping over to the services side. You're probably one of the people that I've seen as one of the most passionate about actually helping put people in the right positions. And I'm not just saying that because you're on the show. I just remember thinking, I was like, man, this guy really, really likes doing that, which is really cool, which I want to come back
0: to. But before we get there, Where did this all start? Where did your career kind of kick off? Yeah. So I went to Miami University in Ohio and studied finance. You know, I honestly don't even know why I picked finance outside of maybe (laughs) just knowing that I loved business and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but I thought that finance would give me the most flexibility, right? It's like, okay, go and learn finance. If it's not for you, maybe you can get into sales eventually, like some of my other, you know, family members are all in sales. And then, you know, I interned at at Abbott Labs and they're one of the uh, companies like GE and several others that have a professional development program. So it was four, six month rotations within finance and your first two years. And I was like, perfect. I don't know what I want to do. This is an opportunity to get to travel around and do a bunch of different jobs and see what I like. And so I spent about four years at Abbott. The first two in in that development program. Ended up rolling off that program and started in in finance kind of full-time at a company and realized that it wasn't for me. And so I ended up kind of moving over to the retail sales organization and moving to Seattle and helped support the Costco account at the time and got to use number and analytics, but also got to be more in front of a client, more kind of client-facing role. So really enjoyed that. So I have nothing but good things to say about Abbott. Um, I just think for me, I just realized that Big corporate America just was not the right fit for me.
1: Yeah. I I didn't realize that you were there for four years. So you gave it it a real shot. Oh, yeah. I'm actually always curious about this because I always was super intrigued by the rotational programs. Mm -hmm. So what all different
0: aspects did you see in that rotational program? Yeah. So this was finance specific, finance and accounting specific. So I did six months in Chicago where I supported at the time, it's now AbbVie, but there's one consolidated company at the time at Abbott and it was like the branded pharmaceutical division. So I supported specifically more of an FP&A role, Mm -hmm. but I supported... South America, Latin America, specifically for the branded pharmaceutical side. So there's a lot of like country roll up and preparing financials for the executive team to look at just to monitor the health of the business. So that was my first six months was in Chicago. And then I went to Columbus and I ended up doing cost accounting at the manufacturing plant downtown. So complete opposite, you know, going from Chicago to wearing steel-toed boots and safety goggles walking around the plant. Um, And really my job there was to prepare like a weekly report that showed how efficient the plant was running, right? What was our fill time? How much downtime did we have on our lines? Did we reproduce what we needed to? How much waste did we have? It was building that weekly report that the plant manager could look at and see, you know, what's going well, what's not, what do we need to adjust? Really cool, like different perspective and way different work. It was fascinating.
1: And you moved this into more of kind of a client facing account management role. What was that transition
0: like for you? It's interesting because I, all throughout high school and college, I was in the service industry. I think naturally before I got into that, I was actually pretty shy around people that I didn't know, Mm -hmm. but working as a busboy um at a restaurant in town Latavla and then going into college and working at you know different restaurants as a as a waiter really kind of prepared me to have to like figure out how to build quick rapport with different people mm-hmm. i didn't know and i think i kind of missed that you know I, I was more internal facing in finance and accounting right you're interfacing with internal folks and helping them but you're not really more outward external facing and so i really enjoy that aspect where it was you know there was a travel it was trying to find mutual win-wins in the business so for us it was you know all about how do we work on programs that will benefit both costco members costco and ourselves and it was really interesting business because at costco it's all about how do you maintain the distribution you have because one product one skew line could be 80 to 100 million dollars of revenue yeah. across 350 costcos at the time right and they could just say, tomorrow, we're going to rip this out. And we're going to put your competitor f- product in, and you could lose that revenue overnight um, in a national decision. So it's all about how do you maintain distribution? How do you show value? How do you drive programs to add value to the member at the time? So it was really interesting use of like, how do I use like my math and Excel skills and build model and dig into this? But then how do we use that in a way that could benefit externally? I mean, I thought that was a really cool, interesting piece that I didn't necessarily have before. You hit on a couple of things. One, it's
1: kind of funny how often it comes up. Those original, those kind of first jobs, right? Restaurant jobs, retail jobs, different things like that. They bring up all the time how much that influence later parts of their career. And I think a lot of times that we almost, we look at those and overlook them, but we don't realize how much those actually do have a downstream impact. And then two, I think that finance background, that finance background helps from a sales perspective, especially when you're doing cost justifications, business cases, and enterprise sales, being able to actually demonstrate that ROI is a pretty big value add. Did you
0: find that to be the case? Oh, 100%. Not only did it help me there, but when I transitioned more into the startup world, I didn't initially start in sales, right? I eventually, that was like the last stop I had at my first startup spot that I had when I was there for four years, but it especially helped not only work on an ROI story for enterprise sales, but also for sales leadership. Because especially in SaaS, you have to be able to explain and build a model, right? You're given a target for a company a certain amount of time, and it's on you to try to figure out how do you build the model in which you're going to achieve this? And it's a baseline of okay, well, how many leads do we need to present? So you need to put together a funnel to, mm-hmm. to talk through that story, but also a build up from a team perspective and build a financial model so you can hit the unit economics that you need to as well, right? And account for ramp time and all of that. So it's heavy Excel use, it's heavy modeling and figuring out what makes sense. When do I need to hire this rep? What type of quota? What type of team quota attainment do I want to bake into this goal? I just feel like, especially nowadays, you can't just be the salesy person and swing and shoot from the hips you need to be able to explain things through data study it and build a model and really show that to make sure that your assumptions are in a good spot
1: i think it's a great point and it was a point that i was not good at early in my career i was very much culture i was a good recruiter And I understood the mechanics of sales pretty well. And that just basically got me by. But then I got punched in the face a few times by like, hey, Ken, we really need this report. And this has to be accurate. But I want to talk about, so you were in
0: a sales role or sales account management role at Abbott. It was like a sales support role. You know, I didn't have complete ownership over an account. I was kind of like their super analyst, but got to take on some of those sales responsibilities over time. Okay. So you're able to kind of dip your foot in the water, but still doing a lot of kind of that modeling in the background. Is
1: that right? Correct. Okay. Was it from Abbott that you went to your first startup?
0: Yes. What was that like? Stressful. (laughs) How come? Uh, For many different reasons. I honestly... You know, I'd love to touch on this later around stuff that you'd just advise people on or maybe some some keys to success. But a lot of it I owe to my friend Travis Hedge. I was the corporate America person, you know, going through that, but something didn't feel right. I was used to changing jobs every six months and having so much change and then to kind of come off that and then have this career path laid out for you, it just felt like you know people progress at different rates. It didn't feel like I ever had the true opportunity to fail. So I wanted an opportunity to really, sink or swim, right? Like, what am I made of? You know, I'm young, bet on myself. Let's see what happens. Worst case scenario, right? I could always maybe find another corporate America job if it doesn't work out for me. But, you know, I really didn't have any exposure to that world until Travis and I talked about it. And he heard everything I was saying. He's like, well, you should look at a startup. I was like, well, what's that? I'm sorry. I started to break into it. And so I started having conversations, you know, I was living in Seattle all the time and I was talking to some companies in the Bay Area. And then I got connected to this company in Columbus, You know, my hometown, I didn't even know that there were tech startups in in Columbus at the time. And, you know, I had various different conversations and I ended up getting a job offer when I was in town for work, actually, and decided to take it. And I went back to Seattle and packed up whatever I could that could fit my Mazda 6. And I drove (laughs) five days cross country, left everything else in my condo uh, that I was renting at the time. Still some of that stuff still exists there today. I have some (laughs) friends that live in that house. And I came back and moved in with my parents and and started that following Sunday. Yeah, 40% pay cut, no equity. It's a different world when you go from being a part of a you know a low to mid member of a team of 10 that's a part of probably a broader organization of a couple hundred people, right? To being the only finance and accounting person at a company. I remember hearing like, hey, you know more about finance and accounting than anyone here. So you probably pretty much like figure it out. Don't bring our company down was the message. <laughs> that was scary for me to hear that at like, you know, 25 years old or so. A couple panic attacks later, um, it was definitely a big adjustment.
1: Travis is a great guy. Travis is the CRO at Vouch and has done a lot for Columbus, not even living here. He's done a lot for kind of building Columbus out. Um, So definitely a shout out to Travis. So you're in here. You've got the position. You took a pay cut, went across country. You were clearly bought into kind of what was going on and really just in the
0: startups, just in general. How did you figure it out? How did you navigate it once you were in there? What was that like? You know, it's different, right? When you're in a corporate job, most likely someone had that job before you. So you have training manuals that are built out and a process that's maybe 90%. Your job is to take that 90% process and make it perfect. Keep the train on the tracks, let things run. Oftentimes you have cross-training and there it's like there was no one to train me, really. This is what needs to be done. Let's figure it out. And everyone's, you know, working at a hundred miles an hour and they have their own work that needs to get done. And so a lot of it is self-learning and a lot of it was Googling, honestly, what does this mean or how do I do this or what's the right way to do this? And that was a huge adjustment for me. And I think I created a lot of anxiety up front because a lot of the stuff I did early on, I wasn't sure if it was exactly right because it's such a different world doing something that's already been done and iterating it versus like being V1 on a lot of different stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I think it was just a lot of like self-experimentation and self-learning and figuring it out, to be honest. Did you find that you
1: liked that challenge, that that kind of drove you more than having more of a defined career path? Or did you not like it at first
0: and it took you some time to kind of get there? I think at first I actually did not like it, but I also didn't have a ton of confidence in myself. I'd never really had done anything before like that. And I think it was more the fear of failing that drove me to figure it out versus really anything else. But I think it was by going through that experience that it gave me the confidence to be more comfortable with risk and try new things that I ended up really liking that, where it's having to figure out new things that I haven't done before, or later on, like how maybe that silo that I owned, how that works with sales and -hmm. the impact of that and other things that I really learned to like over time. So I truly think it was that experience of not saying that I was exceptional at it, but just being able to figure it out and get things done good enough for what needed to be done at the time. That really gave me the confidence to want to take on even more risk over time, take on more responsibility and try new things. But at first, definitely did not like it. And it was something I just had to push myself through it.
1: Yeah. Startups, I've found in my experience that You face, and I'm not saying this was you, but it was in my career heavily, I had imposter syndrome at every single step of the way. totally. And every single time I'm like, man, I think they've got the wrong person. And then you turn something in or something would happen and like, wow, this is great. It's like, so I felt, I know what you're saying on that. It is those, it's almost finding those small wins that give you the confidence to say, okay, I am the right person. And then you push yourself a little bit more and then you get out of there and then you push yourself again and you just kind of keep building
0: that confidence. Is that essentially what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it was imposter syndrome in that kind of moment in time, but I do and have felt that in pretty much every other role since then. I think it would just be hard for anyone to come in in that role. I think it's just early stage startups are really hard you have to be someone that is intrinsically motivated, can do a lot of self-research and trial by error and figure things out. And I think that for people that are like that and love that open canvas and naturally are like that and could be an owner and really drive, I think it's an amazing opportunity for sure. And I think at first, like I, I feel like I am that way, but... It was such an adjustment because my last four years was like, do these defined processes and tasks, Mm -hmm. right? And these things that were built up. So I was almost kind of like conditioned and used to that. So I think it was just a wider adjustment for me. But once I made that adjustment, I think it really empowered me and propelled me a lot in the several different roles I've had since then.
1: That makes sense. I think you figure out pretty quickly whether or not you like this environment and quickly is relative. That could be Two weeks, that could be six months, that could be two years. So I think that's excellent. So you were in finance. How did your role kind of evolve at that company?
0: Yeah. So I came in as finance and accounting hire number one, pretty much. I think I was around employee 30. I was in that role, I believe, for about a year, year and a half. And then we raised our Series C at the time. And Got to hire an accounting manager underneath me with the cpa which is fantastic because took some accounting classes but by no means am i a cpa so that made me feel a lot better and then about six months into that we did a reorg and i went from having me and i think plus one to two people underneath me owning the finance and accounting function to then owning several other organizations that just support the broader company right so hr talent sales operations, facilities, finance and accounting. It was kind of more of a broad administrative officer type role. And I think I had a team of 14 at the time. So that was a big jump, especially from like a management leadership perspective to go from that and then learn these new areas at the time. I was really only in that role for about six months. And then the CEO, Sean, asked me to be his chief of staff. Originally, I kept my team and supported him, but realized that he was on the road probably 70, 80, 90% of the time. And I had to be with him on that. It was hard to have a team. So my team ended up getting dispersed. I wasn't really an owner of really anything at that time. My job was to kind of help support Sean and whatever he needed done and helping communicate that through the the organization. So it was a lot around like fundraising, some recruiting, like executive search type things. Early sales of the Olive product was the other thing that were like the three big things that I helped him with. But that was also an interesting transition to go from like driving something to being in a chief of staff, where really your job is to communicate and get these strategic initiatives through. So that was in that role for about a year. And then I came in and led, uh, I was like head of sales my last year or so that I was there kind of during that initial sprint when we grew the sales team out quite a bit, had some really good commercial traction. So that was the last stop that I had before um, I ended up leaving Olive. What was that transition
1: like for you from you had a team of 14, good-sized team, and you had multiple departments that and functions within there, to moving from that to more of a chief of staff
0: role? What was that like for you personally? I loved it, honestly. Chief of staff is such a special role because you get to be in rooms that there's no way that you would have normally have been in that room, right? Being able to talk, interface in Silicon Valley with some of the top investors and Just being a part of that conversation, even if you're just taking notes and not participating, really, the fact that to be able to listen and see how decisions are being made to selling to whatever that it may be. And I think I gained a ton of empathy and respect for not only Sean, but all startup CEOs. I didn't think I truly realized how hard of a job and how stressful of a job that founder CEO role is until I was in a chief of staff. And I think everyone can sit back and say, oh, if I was CEO, I would have made this decision, blah, 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 blah. And that's easy if you're not like, in the room and see what these people actually go through. It's an incredibly demanding and stressful job. And I think that that was something that really was my biggest takeaway. I have to assume you could
1: learn just an absolute ton in that role. Absolutely. So then you transitioned from there to leading the sales team, much like your avid transition. You were on kind of that finance side, led a lot of that, not exactly apples to apples, but now you're jumping back on the sales side. What led to that
0: decision and what was that like in general? I'm honestly not sure exactly how it happened, (laughs) to be honest. I think it was a mix of just helping Sean on the sales side on some of the big kind of partnerships that we were trying to work at the time and really enjoying it. I don't exactly remember how it happened, but, you know, ended up taking a very small team and we grew it a ton. And how we kind of devised it was, is that like health systems were our main vertical that we were selling after. And so it was like building a sales team to go after health systems. And then I was kind of like a player coach where I had my own quota and I went and sold and managed the pipeline for like the non-traditional vertical like a Fresenius Medical Care would be one, like a kidney dialysis centers would be like a non-traditional, for example, or like services organizations or others that weren't particularly like a health system could be like a a company that I would interface with and actually sell myself. Cause the reality of the situation was is like, I didn't have a track record selling. And so it was important for me to go out and be able to sell, to be able to help advise the team on what's working as well. So it was very collaborative environment. It was honestly probably the most stressful year of my life because we had very aggressive sales goals that needed to be hit and we needed to hit those for fundraising reasons and and other reasons as well. And we had some really good early traction, but when you take on investment, you have to perform and, and deliver incredible results in a short amount of time. So I think for me to be in a role that was so new that I had never really truly done before, mixed with... A very new technology as well. And the pressure of what needed to happen from a performance perspective, it was incredibly, incredibly stressful, but rewarding at the same time.
1: I can only imagine, especially since you guys were series C, series D at this point, is that right?
0: Yeah. So I think from like a funding round perspective, it was around series D timeframe. Okay. frame. But from a product maturation perspective, we were probably a little bit earlier than that because there was a lot of other startups, a lot of pivots that happened and trying to find product market fit before that. But it was an example where the company had to perform and had to bring really good sales results in a quick time frame. When you mentioned that was rewarding, what was the rewarding part about that? I think just having a team to rally behind a goal. I'd say that's the biggest thing. And being able to make quarters, you know, when you're in the trenches with a team and you have a big goal and it's like, we need to figure this out. And it works. I mean, whether it's luck or skill or probably a mix of both that occurred to it, I think that's always rewarding when a team rallies behind a goal and, and is able to achieve it. I was out of my lane completely. Thankfully, I was actually working with a uh, coach at the time. His name's Chris McAllister. He really helped keep me sane during that time period as well because. Again, I'm someone who really, I don't think I had failed professionally at that point at all, and the stakes were even higher, right? And I really just did not want to fail. I really wanted to do what I was tasked to do, and we were going to figure this out and go. But you know, I think he really helped me kind of through that phase and helped me try to bring the best self. Because again, sales was new, leading a team was new, because when I had my team... I quickly kind of gave up my team when I was chief of staff, and then I was back to owning a team and then growing a team. And now I had a massive team compared to what I had, right? And so it was just a lot of new elements for me and, and how my brain works. So it was all about just putting things in perspective and, and doing your best. And the team rallying behind a goal and being able to accomplish that was incredibly rewarding.
1: I love that. So you were very successful in your
0: time at Olive. Where did you go after Olive. Yeah. So I ended up transitioning out of Olive when the team was pretty big. And it felt like at that point, I didn't feel like I was the best person that was suited to lead that sales team anymore. Like They needed to bring in someone who was really good and been there, done that sales leader, take them to the next level. And so I think for me, I really wanted to go... I had done all these different roles. And for me, it was like, how can I leverage... I don't want to like specialize in one specific role. How can I leverage all my experiences and maybe go earlier stage and take on maybe a bigger role where I can own some more functional areas, especially because I know how they all interact. So that was the goal. And so I ended up taking three months off just to relax. Again, it was very kind of stressful ride. Wanted to take some time to myself, spent a lot of time just journaling and figuring out really where I wanted to go next and what levers are the most important to me. And that's where I ended up. So I started talking to early stage companies, and there just wasn't the right opportunity role, company, team at the time. So I actually ended up joining IPS for a little bit, more specifically helping the founder, Caleb, with VC partnerships. So helping him like get in front of more VCs, tell our story. It's a big referral engine for us. But I also did some executive search work when I was there as well. So I was like an IC recruiter. And that was my first time really doing recruiting, right? Like I had a very small stint overseeing talent at Olive, but I didn't do any recruiting. And ended up bringing Olive on as a client at the time and helping hire a lot of the sales team members for that team once I had left. And so that was awesome. And I actually was really enjoying that work. But then I got the call where it was like, okay, this is the role this is the company. So I ended up joining as COO at Finite State. Um, it's another drive capital company in town. I met Matt, the CEO. You know, I really liked Matt, but I think what really stood out for me was, you know, the role was exactly as a COO supporting a first-time technical CEO, right? I had ownership over everything besides product and engineering, really. So I got to oversee the roles that I had individually had done or led at Olive, which was really attractive to me. But I think it was the mission that really stood out to me the most. It seemed like a need-to-have product, not a nice-to-have product, mm-hmm. in which the product is the ability to reverse-engineer critical infrastructure, to be able to look to see what's inside of it, but what are the weak points in which maybe a bad actor could take advantage to either take control of the device or use it as an entry point to then move laterally on the network, right? So think everything from consumer-grade items like you and I interact with, like a Roku or a smart TV ring camera. But also on the industrial side, I mean, this is like connected car infotainment systems. This is like critical components and substations of utilities that power our grid to 5G equipment that powers our cellular networks. Matt and team believe that this was going to be the new biggest attack vector that people would start to go after. And so to create a company that could give you visibility into that and be able to help you at bring you actionable insights so that you can get ahead of it to lower the likelihood of an event occurring really spoke to me. It was almost like the ability to kind of help protect the country in a way. So I really was attracted to that. So I ended up joining that team in December of 19.
1: So you took some time off, journaled.
0: What was your process for journaling? There was like a mix of just stream of consciousness, whatever's on my mind. There's also a series called Wait, But Why? I don't know if you're familiar with yep. that. There were some really good prompts involved there. And so I used some of those prompts. And then I also just had some conversations with people that I really respected that I knew were really intentional, self-aware people. And I tried to see like, hey, have you gone through something similar? What have you done? Right. So like I talked to Travis, Andy Sparks is another person who I talked to quite a bit just to get some ideas from him and how he'd think about it. And so it was really kind of breaking down. So sometimes it'd be, you know, I just write whatever's on a page. And sometimes if I really want a question answered, I would like write the question and like see what comes to mind and try to unpack that deeper and deeper and deeper through that process.
1: I think it's one of the most impactful things I've ever done. In particular, I've done both of what kind of what you're talking about. Like if you've got something you're really stewing on. But then use stream of conscious, that stream of conscious journaling. And that's exactly what I did when I went through my career transition before starting my own company. And that's kind of what came out of that. And I found that for me, it was the first almost kind of month was just getting everything out of my head. I had so much Mm -hmm. stuff in my head. I couldn't even get to the real stuff until that was all cleared out. Then I saw things much more clearly. What do I actually enjoy doing? All those different types of things. So you went through this process and from that process, you took some time off, continued to do that, and then got in your root the job that you wanted. Mm-hmm. You got in the position that you wanted, you're with the mission that you wanted, mm-hmm. the team that you wanted. What was that like? And what were some of the challenges that came in that position? Because now you're at an early stage company in an executive role, got everything that you wanted.
0: What was that like? A lot of it was new, but the one thing that was common at the time when I joined was, It was really a pre-revenue company at the time. The main vertical they were selling into was healthcare. So I was like, all right, healthcare. Owning all these areas at once, that's new. Cybersecurity, that's new. But at least there's healthcare. And then I think like maybe a month or two into the job, we just shut down selling to healthcare. This was not the right place to sell into for the product at the time. And I was like, okay, everything's just going to be new. (laughs) Honestly, I think that I felt more stress when I joined Olive, just owning the finance and accounting side than I did at the time, even though the vertical was new in cybersecurity, we were selling into new verticals that I'd never had any experience in, had all these areas in a bigger role. It was because just gaining some confidence and being in the uncertainty that I felt more comfortable, I guess. I wasn't like really comfortable, Mm -hmm. but just less stress than I was maybe when I first joined because I had that experience before. But it was awesome. I mean, it was a lot of digging into trying to find product market fit. Okay. We, here's the problem we're solving. Here's all the different areas. And what ended up happening was we ended up paring the product down a little bit and just focusing on really the secret sauce. So the product was doing two or three things. And there was like other companies in the market that were doing just one thing that was becoming more of a commodity at the time. And so we made the decision, like, why do we have a finite amount of all pun intended, finite amount of resources, (laughs) engineering resources, like let's trim this product down from doing these three things to this one thing that we believe that we're best in the world at, which is more of the reverse engineering piece. Because originally we were like monitoring these devices on networks and doing all this stuff. right? So I think it was like, let's do this one thing we do really well and let's find the vertical in which these people feel it the hardest that they would pay the money to be able to bring this product in. That was a really cool experience to be a part of that product market fit journey, mm-hmm. go help land the first couple early adopter customers and then be able to build the use case sales material and go and hit the market from there. So that was a really cool experience.
1: I think that's such an important lesson is that it's hard when you're an early, especially pre-revenue, right? Early stage company, it's so hard not to be opportunistic and, hey, we can do this. This company wants this. We've got a great client. You know, They're paying us X for this product, that product, we're building all products for all people and we're going after all sorts of different customers. But then you hear this a million times, right? Everyone's like, start with a niche, then expand. But it's hard to not be opportunistic in those early stages. And totally. this, this is VC and bootstrapped. Oh, yeah. So I think that's such good advice on niche where where do you solve the biggest pain mm-hmm. that's differentiated from those that are around you? And this is anything. This is even somebody looking for a job. Where are you uniquely fit where you are going to be the best? You're going to have the best negotiating power. You're going to be able to, to pick more of those companies. Now, it's going to be totally different. If you want to do something different, I totally get that. But almost anything, niching down first, because you can always expand
0: later. So I think that's excellent advice. And I think with that too, right? I think the biggest challenge being at that early stage is not finding the people that say yes to you, it's the ability for you to say no to people. When you're early on, you're grinding, you're scrapping by. It's easy when you find a customer, but they have like a unique pain point, And they're like, well, build me this or change your product to do this. And like, we'll give you, you know, $100,000 contract or something like that. It's really hard to turn that down. But in reality, that could be like some unique situation for them because they have this tech stack that doesn't solve for this. And it's more of like a custom development product where maybe you can't really productize that and then go sell that to the market. So the ability to dig in and be like, does this customer have a pain point that the others really feel? And can I productize this? Or am I just building something custom for them? Like that's what I think is probably the hardest Mm -hmm. thing is that you can't solve everyone's problems with the resources that you have. You have to solve the problem that the most people really care about that's repeatable at the same time. And I think that's the hardest thing. I think that's excellent. So what I'm really curious about is, and I know that you kind of talk a lot about this
1: is, so you're on the tech side, Mm -hmm. you got everything that you want, and then you went
0: back to IPS as a managing partner. What drove that? What was it inside you that you just had to do? It's interesting. I think there's a lot of different reasons. I think, you know, first start with why leave finite state for me? Matt and I had a conversation really early on that was more so like, hey, listen, cybersecurity is very new to me. This is all very new. I feel good about helping you at these early stages, get things off the ground. Let's find some product market fit. Let's get the customers. Let's raise some capital. Let's build the team. But they'll probably reach a point like at Olive where it will require people that really have a different stage fit than I have per se and have that singular scaling experience that I don't necessarily have. And that could happen in a year, it could happen in four years, we don't know, but just we had kind of a mutual agreement up front, And I think we just hit that timeline faster than at least I expected. So I think it really kind of started around raising the $30 million Series B last year. I think that that just kind of escalated timelines, at least from my perspective, where it was like, okay, with this money, we need to like deliver even more revenue, but we have the capital to bring in really amazing people and leadership at the time. I felt like I had sold enough, but again, selling a technical product to a technical buyer is such a different ballgame than selling a technical product to a business buyer, non-technical buyer. The type of questions that you get asked, the type of things that they care about, it's completely different. And, and even though I was selling a technical product in Olive, I was not selling to a technical buyer. And that was a variance that I didn't even think of until I was actually in the seat and experienced that. So for me, it was time. We got revenue in a good place. We got a V1 commercial team, but it's time to bring in that excellent VP of sales to come in who has cyber-specific domain experience, experience selling into this persona, and taking that team to the next level. Same thing with like a general counsel and marketing and talent and finance and all those different areas that I felt like I was good at a lot of things, but not like excellent at that one thing. It was time to bring in really good people at that time. So yeah, helped bring in those people, had a really good strategic exit from the business, I either wanted to start my own firm or I had this opportunity at at IPS to join, specifically to run the executive search practice and the uh, go-to-market and operations practice, so the below-VP-level non-technical roles. I guess, why search? Everything changed at both companies when we elevated who we hired to not hire who was convenient, but really being intentional and putting resources behind finding the right people that we needed to. That truly changed everything. I mean, I've been a part of companies that have thrown out entire code bases and had a product, like your company is not your product, your company is your team, and that is your best asset. And so I was like, if I could help companies at the stages that I've been at, maybe avoid some of the mistakes that I've made, and maybe be able to double down on some of the good things that I did during that time, that would give me a lot of value and passion. And so I spent a lot of my time just helping, you know, Series A seed stage founders, like let's talk about hiring your first couple sales reps or your VP of engineering, let's talk about it and being able to help, you know, lead a team and focused on delivery and finding the right person and seeing these companies that do extremely well. But it's also rare in life to find a situation where it's a win-win-win. You know, I've had situations where we placed a CTO at a series A company and the CTO is just like this is my dream job, thank you so much. The executive team are just fired up and the investors are fired up like everyone feels like they've won because they found that perfect fit. And that's like a really awesome feeling to chase. And it definitely picks you up from the low points in search because it is a roller coaster. But yeah, that's why I wanted to get into search is like, how can we help these founders who are really passionate about what they're building, but help advise them in some of the biggest decisions they're going to make, which is who's on the team and who should be on the team. So you were driven, it was really that fulfillment. Is that fair to say? Even hearing you talk about
1: this, I can see like you light up, you get super excited as you're talking about it. And I remember having the conversations together when you were talking about some of these things as well. And I just remember you always kind of came back to this. Is that what it was? Was it more of like, I want to do kind of what gives me the most
0: energy? Yeah, I think a lot of it was energy driven for sure. I think a lot of it too was to be so lasered in and focused on one company and being all in on one problem, right? Like Olive for four years, one at State for for two years. It was kind of nice to get into a perspective of how can I still be in the technology startup scene, but come at it from a different perspective. We're more of like an advisor versus operating and doing, but also exposure to a lot more investors, a lot more founders, and learn new industries. I've got to interface with Web three crypto companies and VR, AR, and insure tech and deep AI, MLs, like areas that I've maybe not had much experience in at all, but I get to like meet those founders and learn about their businesses. And that gives me a lot of energy as well. So yeah, I'd say it's definitely like the energy of helping these founders make the right talent and move on, but also the exposure of being able to have, you know, access to a lot of different people and industries and all of that gives me a lot of energy as well
1: gotcha so that exposure to all sorts of
0: different challenges people and things like that is a big driver in that for you oh totally it's more of an art than a science right every founding team has a different dna and skill set and experience level each company is different is it a very technical product that needs a lot of resources is it not is it more marketing heavy than technical each organization looks different it's hard to be like you should like here's your exact playbook and I think because of that dynamic, it's such an interesting problem-solving space where no day is, is the same. I love that. I, you know, I think
1: it's kind of a perfect segue to the question I always ask, mm-hmm. and this could be at any age period, but if you could have a conversation with your younger self and
0: give them advice, what would that be? A couple of different things. I would say the first thing is just simply always keep your fixed costs low and avoid big lifestyle creep. So I'm a huge fan of when you're making your work decisions, being able to chase if it's passion or having ultimate flexibility. I'm a huge believer in, you know, if you keep your fixed costs low, it's going to give you the most optionality and flexibility to make decisions, right? Like being a circumstance where you can quit your job and take another job for 40% less because you want to optimize for the learning experience or the responsibility that maybe you have to wait 10 years at your current company to go get. But if you are have all your finances kind of out of whack and you can't afford to do that, and I know some people it's not fair to say and, and apply a one-size-fits-all because people have different responsibilities. But when you can, keep your fixed costs low to give yourself the most optionality and flexibility to go chase what you want to would be the biggest thing, especially early in your career when you can optimize more for experience, versus money up front, because that eventually, if that's what you want, it could help lead to that down the road by giving you ability to get into rooms that maybe you couldn't or in the roles that maybe you couldn't before. And then I'd say that another thing that comes to mind is surround yourself with the people you admire and can learn from. So again, I don't think I would have ever worked at a tech startup had I known Travis Edge. I don't think it was like innately built in me that this was maybe what I was supposed to do. I think it's something that someone taught me and I admired Travis and what he was doing with his career. And I was like, hey, let me learn a little bit more about that. And I was like, okay, this sounds amazing. So I think surrounding yourself with people that support you, challenge you, push you is always great. And I think, let's say that you wanna break into a startup, but no one you know is in a startup or you wanna learn more about it. One of the coolest tools out there right now that wasn't around when I was you know, 21 years old is Twitter. I think Twitter is such an interesting ability to even if you're not participating to be able to kind of get in the room with people that you wouldn't really have normal access to and just learn from. Like what are they reading? What are they saying? What are their engagements? That's fascinating. Like if you're curious of let's say you're like in a big tech product manager but you're interested in a startup, like there's all these early stage product managers that post a lot of great content and give their thoughts on things and you can engage with Being able to use technology to allow you the opportunity to like kind of learn from people in that sense to give you that ability and that network is really cool. So I just say use technology to your advantage as well.
1: I 100% agree with both of those. You've given us so many good things today. Chris, thank you for coming on the show. This has been excellent. Awesome, thank you very much for having me.